morning. They're having to wear a mask. I just thought in honour of Ash Barty winning Wimbledon, I would wear my Aussie mask. Right, how good was that? Anyone stay up and watch it? Uh, I, I, I love her. She's so normal. I love her. She's, she's so unaffected by how good she is. And uh, it was wonderful. Yesterday I was at the wedding. Pastor David and Helen are not here this morning because they're in Toowoomba. Tim got married yesterday. And it was just a wonderful wedding. It's just so lovely, so full of love. And it was just wonderful. And uh, so thank you for praying for David and his family, for Helen. And it was just a great day, great wedding down in Toowoomba. It was freezing. It reminded me of Adelaide. Let me tell you, it was freezing. Right? But uh, it was just wonderful. So what is our word for this year? Well spoken behind your masks. Well done. So today we're going to continue our Live series. And you may have heard this topic before done by Pastor David or or Pastor Julie. But I'm doing this topic from my eyes this week. And it's live with an attitude that obstacles are there for your growth. So when I wrote the message for Vision Sunday... When I came to this part, this was, these were the exact words that I used. I'll, I'll read it out. One thing is certain regarding 2021. Obstacles will come. Problems will strike. Disappointments will happen. Setbacks will occur. Unfairness will visit you. But they don't need to stop you from living. No, see them as a growth vehicle for you. The more obstacles that you overcome this year the more you will grow. How you see your obstacles determines on how they will affect your life. So basically what I'm saying is that obstacles happen, obstacles come, obstacles will appear. Now, have you ever been like me and you just say to yourself frustratingly, why can't things just go easy? Why is this such a hard thing? You know, the other night I'm trying to get home and something... I have to wait for this light that is never red, it's red, right? I, I, I go around the corner, I think that I won't take the shortcut because I'll be able to make it because there's no train. Literally, as I go past the street of the shortcut, the, the lights flash and then I have to wait for the world's longest train, right? Uh, and then I, every light, it's just like, oh, why can't I just be easy? I just want to get home, right? And, and sometimes you think, why is life so complicated and, and it can be over some just simple stuff it's 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 a hassle even though it should be simple yeah you get a new tv and you're all excited because it's supposed to be a smart tv and then you just can't connect it to the internet no matter what you do it's, ah, it's not smart at all and it's making me dumber by the minute right or, or you get something from ikea and you think it's great and and now you're in couples counseling right because uh, you know, because of just what's happened. It, it's, it should be easy. It's just one plus two and three and, and why can't it just work? And we get frustrated. Am I the only one who ever feels like that or uh, I have some brothers and sisters with me? I remember early in our marriage, it's it one of the worst things that ever happened, right? I, I wanted to print something at home, right? And printers just and me don't mix. Now I just don't ever do it. Right, I just sent it, print this, right? Like Nina, print this, right? So, but I was at home and I'm wanting to print this thing and the printer wouldn't work. And I said, in the end, I got so mad, right? I picked up the printer 
and I threw it as hard as I could at the wall, not the printer, the, the printer cartridge, and, and uh, threw it at the wall. Let me tell you, instantaneous remorse. The whole wall is covered in ink, which took forever to clean, and Nina decides that she's married to a psycho. And uh, she was, right? So, uh, you know, there are obstacles, and they are obstacles, but they're not really the obstacles that I want to speak to you about this morning. Right, if a broken printer or a TV that won't connect to the internet or an IKEA build process is your biggest obstacle this year, then you've had the best year ever, right, to be honest. I mean, that's really not the biggest obstacles. If, if, if those are the things that are sending you over the edge again and again and again, then just do what I did, man up and show some self-control, right? If you're flying off the handle at those little things that are essentially nothing, you just actually need some fruit of the Spirit, some self-control, and you need to gain custody of yourself. Don't write it off as your personality or, or something that God will forgive you for, right? Even though He will, but you're actually just being a little kid having a temper tantrum, right? When I got that printer cartridge and, and threw it at the wall, I was four years old going, Mommy, I don't like her! Mommy, I don't like her! And uh, when Jack used to go, Mommy, I don't like it! Or Daddy, I don't like it! I got a little hand of the... Uh, Fellowship came and just helped him there, right? See, the reason that I can be forceful about that this morning is that, you know, for a long time that was me. And I want to tell you, it might seem like you can't control it, but you can. In those first few seconds, you decide to get angry. You can control it. You need to control it. And let me tell you, everything is better when you can show some self-control. But this year we've been exhorted to live. We're going to face some real obstacles Obstacles that you have to walk through. Obstacles that are not going to be overcome by simple self-control. Obstacles that aren't just going to go away because you wished it would go away. In my devotions recently, I read Job. And Job is a story of a man who went through a whole year of obstacles. When he thought one thing was bad, something worse would happen. When he thought that was as bad as it could get, it got even worse and worse and worse and worse. And his whole life, just in a very short period of time, gets completely messed up. Now, I don't believe that anyone here is going to go through anything like what Job went through. I don't wish that. My worst enemy, it was just horrible what he went through. And, and, but we will face some setbacks. We'll face some failures of our own. And we'll, fa we'll face some failures from others. And some of us are going to have to face some truths. So what do I mean by truths? It's when you realize that what you dreamed of or what you thought was going to happen isn't going to happen. You, you, you realize that what you, it isn't going to come to pass, that maybe you set the bar too high. That's essentially is a midlife crisis. You realize that some of the goals that you had set as a younger person aren't going to come to pass. Some of those self-expectations that you had aren't going to happen. You had your dreams in your 20s, you worked hard in your 30s, and now in your 40s or 50s or 60s, you realize that younger people are doing what you'd hoped to be doing. I remember when I was about 40, I would go to all these Youth Alive events. Now, I was asked to go to these Youth Alive events because of the position that I had in the church, not because I was a youth leader. And I clearly remember one day when Glenn Berteau was speaking at this Youth Alive seminar, and I uh, I was in my 40s and I looked around and I realized that 
I was one of the only people other than Glenn Berteau, right, who was actually, you know, not in their 20s. And I realized that the dreams that I thought were going to happen for me and the things that I thought were going to happen weren't actually going to happen. Younger people were doing what I was wanting to do. I was already, I was doing and being what I was going to be. They say what you do in your 40s and 50s is what your life will be known for. And I actually had to take stock. I had to make my peace with that. And your ability to make your peace with that will go a long way to help you deal with your midlife crisis. I made the peace with the fact that I was a pastor. I wasn't going to be an evangelist internationally traveling around the world. I wasn't going to be a mega church pastor. One, and, and some of the other things that my 20-year-old self thought was definitely going to happen. And you know what? I was okay with that. I was fine with that. I had to make the peace with the fact that God's perfect plan was still perfect for me. And now that I'm almost 60, I go, thank God. I know, I know it's hard to believe. I'm, thank, thank you for going, really? That's, you are awesome. Right? So uh, <laughs> I'm going to take you everywhere I go. Right? So, uh, uh, so I, and now that I'm almost 60, I, I can say amen. And I actually have no regret. I don't live looking back going, I wish, I wish, could have, all of those different things. Look at Ecclesiastes 5.18. It says, even so, I've noticed one thing at least that is good. He's given a big lament about how tough life is. And he goes, but I've noticed at least there's one thing that's good. It's good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This indeed is a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Midlife crises are all about brooding over the past. But once you accept who you are, and accept who God has made you to be, you get so busy enjoying life that you have no time to worry about the things that you wished and hoped you could have been. So now back to Job. Job. Some obstacles are huge. There's no getting around them. Applying self-control isn't going to cut it. Accepting your lot in life and making peace with who you are or why you're going through it isn't going to help. You're in an immediate crisis now, and it needs fixing. You know, I was recently talking to a friend of mine, and he's right now in the middle of a Job-like experience. He started a church many years ago in his own lounge room, and the church became successful. He has many hundreds of people in his church. He's got buildings. He's got a fantastic community outreach where he is, and, and things were fantastic. For all intents and purposes, he is a successful pastor. But his marriage has always been difficult. And then one day, his wife left him. There were no third parties. There was no violence. But everything had become too much for her, and she left. He's obviously devastated and distraught by that. And he's reacted by resigning as the pastor of the church, 
and he pursued restoring his marriage. A good and very understandable decision. But now, it's years later. The marriage hasn't been restored. The church has moved on under another pastor. And now he's no longer in ministry. He feels let down by God. He feels let down by his wife. He feels let down by the church that he pastored. He feels let down by his friends that were in ministry. And like Job, he feels alone and abandoned. And like Job, he probably has a reason to. It's not unreasonable for him to be feeling like this. It's not like, just get over it, mate. You know, just look at the bright side, buddy. Come on, you know, that isn't going to help. It's not a made-up obstacle. It's very, very real. He feels so ripped off. And because he feels so ripped off, he's fighting a battle that everyone who faces a real obstacle has to face. He has three choices. There are three choices my friend has. He can give up and just become a victim. Woe is me. It's not fair. I've done nothing wrong. I'm all alone. I'm never going to be happy again. And all the other things that victims say. And in one way, he'd be right. He is an actual victim. He's not because he's been a bad person. He's not there because of all the bad decisions that he made. He's just in a bad place. And he never meant to be there. He hasn't done anything wrong. It hasn't been fair. But I want to tell you, you can't live there. Some circumstances will send you to that suburb of despair, but it doesn't mean that you have to build a house there. He can't stop there. For life to mean something again, he has to move on. He has to accept that this is his new reality and that when God called him and God gave him his dreams, God did so knowing that this setback was going to happen. God wasn't surprised. God gave him all that he gave him knowing that this thing was going to happen in his life. So he has choice. Right? He can give up and forever be known and defined by the circumstance that happened to him. There goes, what's his name? His wife left him and he lost everything. And he's actually defined by the circumstance that happened to him. Or he can move on and take some of the terrible circumstances that happened to them and make him a better person. To learn the lessons, and as the Bible says, find treasures in darkness. There are some darknesses that you go through that are visited upon you that are evil and horrible, but even in the midst of that darkness, God can find a treasure. God can, can bring a treasure that you're better for. He never designed what happened, but He uses what happens and you're able to find treasure. The worst moments of your life can become some of the great teaching moments of your life if you allow them to be. Let's have a look at this. 1 Peter 2 verse 20. For what credit... Is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? So if you just get in the consequences of your dumb decisions, 
or your bad choices and you just end up in that place, well, what credit is if you, it's what it's saying. If, you, if you'd done something stupid, if I, you know, just yelled at Neil and got mad with him and then Neil doesn't like me anymore, and then I go, oh, it's not fair, Neil doesn't like me. Well, it's, it, 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 it's, it's why if I've beaten for my faults, you take a patient. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. See, not vi- sitting in victimhood, even if you're the victim, gains you credit in heaven. I look at it as a bank account. The more I patiently endure the unfairness and suffering, the more credit I have in the bank of heaven. And Jesus is our greatest example. There was nothing fair or right or deserved about what Jesus went through. But he patiently endured. He endured it for why? For us. There was great credit, a great payoff in heaven for the joy we are that joy. For the joy that, that, that was set before him, did Jesus endure the cross. Choice number two is to become bitter. And to be honest, for my friend, this is the battle that he's got. He's not going to become a victim because to be honest, he's just got too much drive, too much energy to ever channel uh, the, you know, those feelings into a place where he's going to give up. But what can happen, he's got to make sure that he doesn't allow that drive, that same drive and energy that's going to stop him from being a victim, from becoming a bitter person, becoming a bitter man. So he doesn't channel those real and legitimate. Remember, they're legitimate. It's not made up. It's not like just get over it. It's like it's real. Right? He has to be careful not to allow that driving energy to channel his real legitimate feelings into bitterness. I'm going to make people pay. I'm going to make people see that I was right. I, I, I'm going to make people realize how much they've let me down. I, I, I want people to feel the same level of pain that I'm feeling right now because they deserve it. They put me in this place. It's a natural reaction. It's an understandable reaction. But it's a reaction that has no redemptive value. I love the word redemption. The redemption is, is the, really the word that, that describes and articulates the gospel. That which is horrible, bad and terrible and irredeemable becomes redeemable. Something good can happen from, can happen from it. See, Bitterness is a reaction that constantly steals from you and never adds to you. Bitterness is an inexhaustible pit. It leaves you exhausted and it leaves you empty. Now, Job has these friends come along and they endeavor to try and help him. But to be honest, they have no help to Job in their attempt to bring comfort all they end up doing is telling Job where he went wrong. Well, if you did this, it wouldn't have happened like that. If you didn't do that, it wouldn't have happened. And, and to be honest, if you're going through this, you must have done. And most of Job's friends, that's what they're saying. This could only have happened to you because you did something bad. 
Oh, you lost your job. Oh, that must be because you treated the boss bad or you were lazy. Or, you, or your wife let go. Oh, that's because you did this and, and, and rah, rah. And, and, and what happens, we apportion blame. And we, and, we, and we say that and we think we're helping the person, but we're actually hurting the person. We're actually adding judgment to them. Right? And they, they, they just tell Job what is wrong and they're actually judging him. They say all these nice things, but in the midst of what Job is going through, it's of no comfort. Their judgments are actually making it harder. It makes the time even more difficult for them. They feel the need to try and work out why Job is going through what he's going through. And to be honest, it makes sense. Like if I can show you why you went through something, it may help you in the long run. So you can see why they're wanting to do that. I, I know that as a pastor, I see some people make some mistakes and I think if I can try and help them here, right, not to make the mistake again, that, that helps them. And there's a, a measure of truth in that. But sometimes all they hear in my attempting to do that is, well, you're wrong. You are stupid. You are bad. It's because of you, you, you and you. And so no consolation or exhortation happens. No encouragement is given to that person to try and help them out of it. You know, so I come to see that sometimes my help is seen as judgment and doesn't help at all. And listen to this. Even if you know why, right? even if they understood why, it doesn't change the fact that something bad happened. Right? Knowing why something terrible happened doesn't change the fact that something terrible happened. And you have to live with that. You are now in a circumstance where you're facing that reality. In time to come, knowing might help so you don't make some mistakes again. But in the midst of your trouble, in the dark night of your soul, what you need from people and what we need to give to people is love, comfort, support, care and understanding without judgment just be nice just have some there 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 if they've done something wrong the holy spirit's going to be telling them and talking to them you'd be a measure of consolation to that person one way not to become bitter is that in the midst of your obstacle or tough time don't look at what you perceive others to have or not have it's a natural reaction, but it creates a false reality. Listen to what Job says in chapter 21. See, Job, interestingly, at the start, has incredibly excellent, though you slay me, Lord, yet will I serve you. At the beginning of his trial, he is wonderful. In the beginning of his trial, he can handle it. At the beginning of his trial, he's happy to go through whatever he has to go through. But as it goes on, and it doesn't change, and a day turns into a week, and a week into a month, and a month into a year, all of a sudden his attitudes change. And so the man who had said, yet though he slay me, is now saying, why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, and become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight, and their offspring for their eyes. Their, their houses are safe from fear, and neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull breeds without failure. Their cows carve without miscarriage. They, they send forth their little ones like a flock, and all their children are dancing. They sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment, 
They go down in the grave, yet they say to God, depart from us. For we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? Because of Job's misery, because of his level of pain, pain, he creates a false reality. The wicked prosper. Nothing bad has happened to the people who are way worse than what I ever was. God doesn't punish them. Their families are blessed. They're not even Christians. What's the point of serving God? Prayer doesn't even work anyway. And so he's allowed this narrative to come. See, obstacles, if you let them, will control your narrative. You must guard your heart. You must be diligent in your praise of God. For the garment of praise wards off the spirit of heaviness. So guard your thoughts. Monitor your words. Bitterness is always unresolved anger. Anger hurts you if not dealt with properly. Life throws us things that make us angry. All of us have got angry. Some of us more than others, but we all get angry. But it hurts you. But when you allow it to go into bitterness, it hurts other people. You know that anger has turned to bitterness when you have to tell everyone what it is that you've went through. Now, I'd say have a few trusted confidants that you can have a bad day with and say those things and rah, rah, and have a rant with, but have them to be two or three people. And then, but don't be telling everyone. You know bitterness is in your soul when you actually have to tell everyone. Anger hurts you. Bitterness hurts all those around you. You know, I was talking to someone this week and they've gone through a very unfair situation. It's horrible. And they don't understand why it's happened to them. And that, But during this, their kids have just thrived. Their kids have, have, have started coming to our youth group in our church and they are just thriving like they never, ever have before. And, 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 it, and it, it's just wonderful. And in one day, this guy is just telling God, oh, it's not fair and why they do this and rah, rah. And then God just says, goes, look at your daughters. And he goes, where do you want your pain? What a thing to say. What an amazing thing to say. And he goes, God, bring it on. Bring it on. If my daughters are going to be like, I'm not going to allow my bitterness so he's not going there, well, this happened to me, and they did this to me, and then they said that. He's dealing with that so his daughters can just get in love with God. I, 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 just, love, I, just, I just love that. God gives you ways to deal with anger and bitterness. God gives you a way, and it's, it's, we hate it. It's forgiveness. It's honest prayer. And it's thanksgiving. And we have to put those things and like exercise, actually go and do those things. See, if you don't consistently put these things into action, through your obstacles, you run the risk of bitterness ruling you. Look at Job's restoration. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Termite, 
My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job, not the temple, not to God, not to the priest, but go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal according with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And look at this last line. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. When? When he had prayed for his friends. The very people that, that heard him and brought him down, the very people that should have encouraged him, the very people that should have exhorted him, but in the end brought judgment upon him, when he had forgiven them, his fortunes were restored. Job's restoration didn't come until he forgave. And forgiveness, to be honest, is the only key, real key, to overcome bitterness. Honest prayer helps. You just tell God what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking anyway. Right? Praise, be thankful to God in all things. Right? Because it lifts up your heaven. When I praise, I'm lift, I, my, my head is towards heaven, not around all my problems. So those are some of the things I would like the musicians to come. The third choice is to find God. But in the midst of a massive, horrible time, sometimes it can be hard to find God. Let's have a look what Job says in Job 23. He's in the midst. Remember, he's in the midst of a, the worst time anyone's ever gone through. He goes, oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's trying to find God. He's trying to see where God is that I might come even to his seat. Behold, I, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I don't perceive him. On the left hand where he's working, I do not behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I do not see him. And I love these words. But he knows the way that I take. In the midst of your circumstance, in the midst of that obstacle, you can't see God. You go forward, He's not there. You go backwards, He's not there. You go left, right. You go up, down. You just can't see God. It's only by faith that you can say God is here. Because if I look at it in the natural, God is not here. I don't see Him. But what the Word says here, but He knows the way that I take. God knows. You might not be able to see what God is doing. You may not see His work. You may not be able to perceive. But He knows. He knows your way. Take solace in the fact that God knows. I might not be able to sense Him, but I know that He knows my way. I can't see Him anywhere, but by faith, I'm going to believe that He is with me. And what does the Bible say? That He rewards those who diligently seek Him. You need 
a word from God. It's the only way through. You need a word from God. You know, I think of Neil and Julie and, you know, they're going through some things right now in their quest to, to see something happen for them in God. But in the midst of all of this trouble and strife, God's given them this word. The funny thing is, is that word might not comfort me. If I was going through that same thing, that word might not comfort me. But you know what? It's the word that brings comfort. You know, when I, my sister died when she was 50, and I couldn't understand why she died. I, I, was, I was like, God, what is going on? I don't understand. God just said to me, he goes, everyone lives to when they live. Someone, people live till six months, six years, 60 years, 106. She lived to her time. Now, for some people, that might make them mad with God. For me, it was completely comforting. It just made sense. Right? You might think, well, that's stupid. How does that make sense? But I was able to find God where it brought me comfort. I was able to see. Didn't make my sister come back to life. Didn't make it happen so uh, that there weren't problems and issues and, and troubles that came because my sister died. But it got me through. Doesn't change the situation. But it's like God holding your hand and going, I know people can't really help you right now. I know that you've got to go through this. I know that you might not see and understand why this has all happened and all of that, but I'll walk you through this. He knows our way. God knows the way you take. He knows how to get the most out of your obstacle. He knows that the very thing the enemy had to bring you down can be the thing that actually helps you Helps you hear the voice of God. Hears you understand the Word of God. Where resilience is built and where your adversity quotient is exhorted and, and, and grown. God knows the way you take and how to get the most out of your obstacle. God knows those things. You're never alone. You're never abandoned. God will never leave you or ever forsake you. He knows the way you take.